0: And welcome back to The Mac Show, the Danny Mac Podcast on Bet Rivers Network. I'm Dan McNeil, and I do this twice a week for Bet Rivers. Glad you have found me. Please tell a friend, as I have asked almost every show I've done. And I'm calling them shows because that's indeed what they are. It's not interactive, other than you getting to me via social media. And I do like to respond to a lot of those. But my bag is bursting, you know, after not having a couple of years of football. 2020 season, not having a terrestrial outlet after the opener because I was fired two years ago today, and then last year having a terrestrial show on WJOB and JED-TV, my hometown radio station. I missed having an opportunity to reach all of you. I am thoroughly enjoying this, and I hope you are too. So let's proceed to week two, but not until I congratulate you on all of your week one earnings, did you stick to my 10 commandments of football wagering? A betters guide to more profitable investment portfolios. I didn't either, but I told you that last week that it was opening day. I was going to do a few things just to um, to avoid being called un-American by people who know that I call the shield my first sports love and by miles uh, I didn't fare so well yesterday. Uh, last week. I had the Lions, and they squeaked one out, but uh, I lost several other plays, didn't move on too many games, and I did do the three-team steamer, the noon, the 325, and the 720. And the 720 position Sunday night is where the unbeaten head coach of the Chicago Bears, Matt Eberflus, finds his team a 10-point underdog. Justin Fields, not bad in the second half against the 49ers last week, but it has built some unfound confidence, uh, unwarranted confidence, maybe is a better way of saying it, for Bears fans and Bears media. And we all do it. There isn't one among us who hasn't had that knee-jerk reaction to rush to judgment after a very small taste of, of a football team, of anything that you only see for one day. And on one day, for one half, the Bears looked like a decent football team. They protected fields against the 49ers in the second half. Sloppy field. Nick Bosa, he was minimized. I, I said, if Nick Bosa can be held in check, The Bears can hang around. I did take the 49ers, though. I said if it's less than seven, I'm taking San Francisco. It went off at six and a half, so I was a loser there. But nonetheless, uh, an entertaining game, anything but artful. And for one day at U.S. Bank Stadium in Minneapolis, a gorgeous facility where the Vikings call home it was all Minnesota. They waxed the Packers 23-7, to and that score really not indicative of how lopsided it was. Green Bay never got anything going offensively. Rodgers was intercepted uh, once. Aaron Rodgers was sacked four times and chased around a bunch of others. The running game, which we were told is going to be more a part of the Packers' offensive arsenal this year was pedestrian Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon collaborating for 94 yards on 15 carries. It is true the Packers' offensive line is thinned out or was thinned out. David Bakhtiari didn't go, and that's going to hurt you. But uh, it it was an uninspiring effort by Green Bay. I issue caution with you on week one. It was just a year ago, and Packers fans remember this, when the New Orleans Saints pasted Aaron Rodgers' Packers 38-3. Green Bay came back the next week and took care of business against the Lions, winning by 18, a dreadful start to last year's season. Weird things happen in the first week. You can't overvalue what you see. Not that you don't file it away and say, okay, there are some good things here. There's growth here. There's growth on the Bears' offensive line. Protected pretty well. Not bad in the run block department on a crummy day. But you cannot say, we have this fixed or we won't get that fixed unless there is a most critical component missing or returning to your lineup. I want to talk with you, first of all, before getting into some of the matchups and some of the histories of this series, about what constitutes a rivalry. It is a word we throw around far too liberally in sports jargon. I first heard this expressed a little bit more than 20 years ago when I was auditioning on, on the national stage for ESPN Radio in Bristol, Connecticut. I was trying to... Get familiar with the ESPN way, and as a guy who has never loved national sports conversation, not nearly as much as I do local, I was trying to absorb a lot of their national programming on the weekends, find out what hosts were operating like, not to be like them, but just to get a feel for the outfit I was going to work for on a part-time basis doing Saturday and and Sunday nights hopefully getting a chance to work at their Chicago affiliate ESPN 1000, which I was able to pull off in May of 01. But one of the hosts, and it bothers me, I cannot remember his name because he deserves attribution on this. He was talking at the time about the rivalry that exists between the New York Yankees and the Boston Red Sox. And this is prior to, to the Red Sox winning the 0-4 World Series and a couple more after that one down the road, the Red Sox still had not shaken the curse of the Bambino. And how can you not be spiteful no matter what your age was? If you grow up in Massachusetts and you you like the Red Sox, of course you are going to be green with envy. For what the Yankees have accomplished in their in the franchise's history. They are the evil empire. They are the 20s Yankees of Ruth and of Gehrig, Whitey Ford, Mickey Mantle, several decades later. In the 70s with Mr. October, Reggie Jackson, and on into the 80s. In the late 90s, they start, they reel off four World Series titles in a five-year stretch. If you're a Red Sox fan, I totally get it why you would hate that organization. Understandable. However, this weekend host explained things differently to me, and because I'm a guy who believes words matter, I subscribe to his theory 100%. The hammer and the nail do not have a rivalry. The nail may hate the hammer, but he cannot say, that's my rival. You know why? He gets his ass pounded every time the two get together. And that's what it was for the Yankees and the Red Sox. There are rivalries that even during down periods for one of the combatants, that, uh, that team or university manages to rise to the occasion and win when it is not expected to. When I was growing up in the 70s and 80s, the Big Ten Conference in football yet had, uh, had to emerge as more than the big two. It was Michigan and Ohio State, but that didn't mean the kids who played football for Michigan State weren't capable of emotionally getting it up for the maize and blue and dumping them when they were listed as underdogs. It doesn't matter who the head coach was, if it was Duffy Doherty, if it was Denny Stoles, George Perlis in the 80s. Michigan State in that game has found a way to win when it was outmatched. Iowa State has done the same against Iowa historically. Hawkeyes, much bigger school, much much more of a profile nationally, send a lot of guys into the pros. I think they're third or fourth in the Big Ten in pros, call Iowa their alma mater. They managed to have a rivalry with Iowa State. uh, When Iowa State is a fraction, of of what Iowa is. Same with Notre Dame and Marshall. Marshall get oh, that was a cheap shot, you Irish fans. I had to. I I, I just had to. I, I heard too much smack in the offseason about what Notre Dame is going to be. So I'm I'm getting it the point, obviously, what has happened between the Bears and the Packers, not historically, and in my life. Unfortunately, there have been long stretches, long meaning five, six, eight years, when one team is is really bad, and often that's when the other is very good. The last 30 years have not produced a rivalry between the two. You're a Bears fan. You hate the Packers this week. You hate all things Wisconsin. Two weeks a year, you don't want to eat cheddar cheese. You don't want to talk to anybody wearing a green and gold jersey. You loathe their existence because that's in your DNA. You are conditioned as a young man or woman to despise all things Lambeau Field and those who wore that uniform, those who like that team. Since Brett Favre took over, And that was the 92 season. He started 13 games in his first year with the Packers. The transition is made years later to Aaron Rodgers. So we have exactly 30 seasons of Favre or Rodgers. Yes, there were occasions when neither was available. And Brett Hundley was capable of stepping in and leading Green Bay to a win. That was in Chicago 10, 12 years ago as as well. I'm not sure if it's that far back, but there have been some guys who've stepped in for those two Hall of Famers and have done just fine. Thank you very much. But we're talking about 60 games between the two teams since 92. Green Bay has won 45 of those 60 games. That is as sobering as it gets. Every year when these two teams meet, you see the graphics of all the Bears quarterbacks. You see that list of immortals like Steve Stenstrom, uh, Henry Burris, all the guys who temporarily were Bears quarterbacks. While Green Bay, 92 through today, lists with only the exception of injuries, two men, Hall of Famers, Brett Favre and Aaron Rodgers. In those 45 wins against Chicago, 45 out of the last 60, Green Bay has won 27 games by 10 points or more. 27 double-digit wins of their 45. 19 of those 27 were wins by 14 points or more. The, ba- the Packers have won both annual meetings 17 of the last 30 years. 17 times Packers have, have gone clean, 2-0 and against the Bears, regular season meetings. Only twice have the Bears won both meetings in those 30 years, 0-5 and 0-7. Congratulations, Lovie Smith. This is not a rivalry. This is a mismatch in the last 30 years. You might hate the Packers, just like the nail hates the hammer. But you, my friend, are not in possession of one of the greatest rivalries in sports. Win once in a while when you're not supposed to. It doesn't happen enough. And the Bears are 10-point underdogs Sunday night on NBC, not the first go around for Justin Fields. He got a taste of what this stage is like last year when they met for the second time, and it didn't go well for Fields in his first game uh, on NBC. He threw a couple of uh, interceptions in that game. Packers beat the Bears forty-five to thirty. Wasn't a great game for the Packers either, but they still mustered forty-five points. Against that that limp bears defense that by uh, by December was missing so many key personnel it was not a very good football game Sunday nighter so at, at least fields got that out of the way because I, I was before I refreshed myself on whether Justin has played in this game on a national stage I, I didn't remember that game, and it wasn't that long ago I was thinking, oh don't do a cutler don't do a Jay Cutler and go up there. And that was his first game in a Bears uniform, not just his first nationally televised game when he came over, when Jerry Angelo made the trade with the Broncos in 9 for two first-round draft picks. Jay Cutler shows up opening night, Lambeau Field, and he threw four interceptions. And the Bears hung around because Green Bay wasn't very good either. They didn't play their best players during the preseason Uh, Aaron Rodgers was not spectacular. He wasn't quite Aaron Rodgers yet, too. I believe 0-9 was only his second year at the wheel because Favre split after the 0-7 season, so that's only year number two for Rodgers. He had yet to write his legend, but you saw enormous potential. Nonetheless, Jay Cutler crapped the bed. Uh, One of those interceptions was to defensive tackle Johnny Jolly. Um, good old number 97. Yeah. Cutler whipped it right between the nine and the seven and uh, jolly hung on to it. And there's a 97 in green Bay colors. The better, uh, the bears better pay a hell of a lot of attention to of attention to this coming Sunday night. And that's Kenny Clark, the soon to be 27 year old noseman from Cal. This dude is active. He is a very, very good football player. And we were sold on the Green Bay defense this offseason. We were told that with the departure of Devontae Adams to the Raiders, the Packers are going to be just fine. They're going to run the ball better, and they're going to play better defense. Matt LaFleur is going to have one of the best defensive teams in the NFC. That's what Packers fans were singing all summer, and I heard that from Packers players as well. One game does not a season make. They didn't cover Justin Jefferson last week. The Bears do not have that type of receiver. Uh, hell, there's only you know a, a very short list of guys with, with more skills and, and more big play potential than Justin Jefferson. He is an amazing young player. That's why you guard him. That's why you don't let him sit in the middle of the field just waving his arms around frantically for Kirk Cousins to get him the ball. And that's what happened Uh, in the first half, especially Green Bay didn't cover Jefferson. If Justin Fields gets those same opportunities with Darnell Mooney, the Bears are going to hang around. But I don't see that this week, despite how I can build cases for Chicago in this game. I, I just go too much on, on the coaching variable and the quarterback. Coach, quarterback. That's how you read NFL games. That's how I do it anyway. That's how a lot of guys I know do it, whether you're gambling or not. It doesn't really matter. Rodgers has been spectacular against the Bears in his career. If you like looking at trends, he's 22-5, and five, lifetime against Chicago. Rodgers has won six straight over the Bears. The Packers have covered eight of their last ten against the Bears. The number today is ten. The Packers are ten-point favorites. We have a total of 41.5. I think the smart play, if you're going to get involved with the total, would lean under. Green Bay will shore it up defensively, and they goddamn better because this is not the Vikings. There's no Dalvin Cook. There's no Justin Jefferson, Adam Thielen. Uh, Bears don't have those type of players. And there was a lot of praise given to the Bears this week, an overreaction week. And I understand it. I understand it. They, they beat a team that was among the best in the NFC last year. Uh, a team that that stood tall against Green Bay in the postseason. Nick Bosa, one of the best defensive players in the game today. But this is week two, and I, I think we are going to hear a different tune come Monday morning, and I knew what it would be like on Chicago Sports Talk Radio. I've lived it. Hell, I've participated in it. It's time to overreact. The Bears won a game they weren't supposed to win. Maybe Matt Eberflus is the answer. Maybe the Messiah has arrived in the form of the former Colts defensive coordinator. Maybe not. Maybe they have 16 more games to go. 16 more of them. It has been my pleasure in my life, my privilege to have had so many Amazing experiences as both a fan and a credentialed member of, of the media, both print and radio media. And I want to tell you about some of my favorite Lambeau experiences. It goes back to 89, and you older Bears fans, because not all of you will remember this. November of 89, the famous Don Mikowski game when the Packers were trailing 13-7. to 7. 41 seconds left in the game. Green Bay has a fourth and goal, but from the Bears' 14-yard line because of a couple of negative plays. So their fourth and goal from the 14, 41 seconds left. Don Mikowski, number seven, Lindy Infante's quarterback, rolls to his right. He's being chased by rookie defensive end Trace Armstrong your next president and CEO, Bears fans. He slings the ball into the end zone. He fires a strike into the arms of Sterling Sharp, who had just cut to the inside of Bears safety, Marcus Paul, good old number 36. And the play immediately is ruled no good. The the chop hand behind the uh, the waistline and back, That's for illegal forward pass. They ruled Mikowski was over the line. Dan Fouts called it immediately, and I was at the ballpark, so I didn't hear Fouts. I was in the press box, and uh, what a scene that was in both locker rooms afterward, but I'm in the press box, and there's a lot of conversation on the field after the touchdown. The officials are huddling. Replay is in its infancy. It was all done from the stadium the replay judge was bill parkinson he rules that Mikowski was not over the line i thought he was i and that was being objective about it i i but watching this many times many years after the fact his toe had had planted and uh, his right foot had planted just inside the stripe at the 15 And his, at the point of release, the ball had not crossed the 14. And that was precisely where the Packers possession, where that snap emanated from, from the 14. So the touchdown is ruled good. It's a tie game. Chris Jackie runs out to kick the point after. And the Packers win the game 14 to 13. And after the game, With my little Marantz recorder working for the AM loop, talking to as many Bears players I could get to talk to me, and most of them were pretty good, even after losses. Mike Singletary, Dan Hampton, Steve McMichael. And Ron Rivera, now the head coach of the Washington Commanders. And Ron Rivera is is one of the most gentlemanly NFL players and head coaches I ever have met. He's soft-spoken. He's a champion of charity. He is a sweet guy. I had to perform surgery on the interview with him the next day to make it arable. That Never happened before with Rivera in my brief history. It never happened in the 30 plus years since I have never seen Chico as we like to call him as angry as he was on that day at at Lambeau field. It was, uh, it was incredible. So surgery means in 1989, you don't have the luxury of editing audio tape digitally. You have to take a grease pencil and and mark the reel to reel tape after it's been transferred from cassette, and then you have to do a splice and add a beep splice so everyone understands why there is a word or two, and there were some two word word two some compound words used, and uh, it, it was just incredible. What what a, what a game that was! A couple years later, when the score had just launched. You all know who Mike Greenberg is from Get Up. He's uh, he's the 21st century's answer to Steve Austin, Colonel Steve Austin. He is the $6 million man for ESPN. We worked together for several years. He had not only never been to Lambeau Field when I took him there the first year of the score, we both were working for the score and working the game and locker rooms after the game. He'd never seen a cow. <laughs> I, what is the highway 43 that that runs from Appleton? I think it's 43. It's either 43 or 25, the highway that runs from Appleton, where the bears used to stay at the paper Valley to Lambeau field. It's only about a 20 or 25 minute ride. We're driving that morning and, and, and we were stoned. I've been, you know, confident enough and secure enough over the years to admit that Mike has not. But um, he sees a cow for the first time, and he's, my God, a cow! Hey, Greeny, that's, that's a cow. That's right. In the game, Packers linebacker Brian Noble was carried off the field on a stretcher with what was believed to be a serious neck injury. And this is right around the time when Mike Utley of the Detroit Lions gave the thumbs up as he was carted off it was it was feared at the time that lion's offensive lineman never would walk again and he ultimately did it was a very long struggle for him years of physical therapy and he did manage to make a life of it but that was always the fear at the time as the game is progressing and as players are getting bigger faster stronger and angrier and i mean all of those it Guys were getting hurt more regularly. There were more serious neck spine injuries. And there was the fear that Noble, who had been a very quiet leader, but a leader nonetheless for Green Bay, would not return for the season and maybe, maybe would have even far more serious repercussions from the injury. In the Packers locker room after the game sat a safety from Arizona named Chuck Cecil, number 26. He couldn't have been more than 190 pounds. He was wiry. He was handsome, but but he wasn't a big guy. He sat at his locker stall, slumped in his uniform, helmet off, but still in pads and not talking to anybody. And I watched, I just, I just happened to notice as I started talking to some other Packers players and getting a few other interviews, Chuck Cecil never moved. He was so devastated by two things. The Packers had had their asses kicked by the bears and his very good friend, Brian Noble was in trouble, or at least that was the thought at that time. That was, that was memorable for me. There have been so many memorable games for me at Lambeau Field. I was lucky enough to attend what is, uh, what is, according to Packers records, the fifth coldest game in Green Bay Packers history. It happened in mid-January of 97, following the 96 season, when Brett Favre is taking Green Bay to their first Super Bowl since the glory year, since the Lombardi era. They beat New England and New Orleans in that Super Bowl. They're hosting the Carolina Panthers that Sunday, and we were expecting record temperatures. There was a thought. This, This day was going to be even colder than the Ice Bowl, the famous game against Dallas in 67. It didn't quite make it. It was a balmy three degrees at kickoff, With wind chills, minus 16. Packers were 12-point favorites. I attended this game as a fan. I was not in the cozy environs of the Lambeau Field press box. I was there as a fan. That's when I discovered thermal clothing. That's when I discovered those those crush-and-heat little packs that hunters use in their gloves or their socks to keep their feet warm. I discovered those, and uh, I was plenty warm. But the atmosphere in Lambeau, at Lambeau and outside the ballpark on game day, and this is special because it's an NFC championship game. And for many of those young fans, first time ever. It had been 29 years since Green Bay had played in the game with Roman numerals on it. Panthers score first. Short touchdown pass from Kerry Collins to Chicago's very own Howard Griffith. And it was all Green Bay the rest of the day. Packers 30, Panthers 13, touchdowns from Levens, Freeman, and Bennett. Chris Jackie with three field goals. Green Bay goes on to win the Super Bowl. I mentioned the Cutler game on NBC in zero nine. 9 That certainly was memorable. Prior to that game, I was at the Packers' playoff win over the Seahawks in 08. After the 07 season, Green Bay is hosting Seattle in Mike Holmgren's return to Lambeau Field. Holmgren is the coach of the Seahawks, and he already had been to a Super Bowl as head coach of the Seahawks. They lost to the Steelers in Super Bowl 40 at Ford Field. This was expected to be a close game. It wasn't. The Packers destroyed Seattle that day, 42-20. to 20. Ryan Grant, the running back out of Notre Dame, I think is still running. 201 yards and three touchdowns. Uh, it, was, it was my good fortune to be friends and still friends with Brian Harlan. He was my agent when I needed one. The former Bears Director of Public Relations, who is the son of of Bob Harlan. Bob is the former Packers president, and he still was the president in 08. Kevin Harlan, the voice of the NFL and college basketball on CBS, the first family of Green Bay football. And the president gets a suite at at Lambeau Field. It was on the Packers' side of the field near the north end zone, probably around the 10-yard line. It was a very large suite, and it was... It was well-stocked with jumbo prawns, with with filet medallions, with any beverage you possibly would want. And we had a great time in the first half, and we decided to roam a little bit during the second half. And we wound up in the press box. Brian and I both have warm relationships with Packers, veteran play-by-play man Wayne Larrabee. Brian knows him a hell of a lot better than I do. He's represented him. I was an intern at WGN Radio in 85 when Wayne was in his first year in the Bears booth after doing the Chiefs for a number of years. We stood behind Wayne and his analyst, Larry Rock McCarron, Rich East High School, University of Illinois, former Packers Center, and the snow began to fall on Lambeau Field. Wayne prefers to have the windows open to get the feel for what it's like to be on the field. He doesn't like, he's not comfortable if he feels like he's watching the game from somewhere else. He wants a little bit of a taste of the, the elements. So with the windows parted and the snow falling on Lambeau field, sitting right at midfield, that was one of those pinch me moments Because when I grew up, I I envied the Green Bay Packers. I was not a Bears fan. Are you kidding me? The 69 Cubs blow an eight-and-a-half-game lead in August. The Bears encore that by going 1-13 under Jim Dooley. And my buddies are running around in the south side of Highland in their Gale Sayers and Dick Butkus jerseys. Sayers and Butkus were finished pretty much by 1969. Their careers were so brief in terms of their ability to dominate. Sports medicine was not in the 60s what it became in the 80s or certainly what it is today. Even the 80s is, is prehistoric. In the 80s, you would have reconstructive ACL surgery and they would cast you for six weeks. That's they, this, Somebody finally realized, you know what? Muscles are going to atrophy if we don't move that leg a little bit. So we better do something differently going forward. But Sayers and Butkus did not have that luxury. And the Bears team physician under George Hallis, Dr. Fox, did not have a sparkling reputation. The late Doug Buffon used to kid me. He said, we, if one of us were getting our ankles done, we made sure we marked on the, the good one, don't do this one. That was a great day to be at Lambeau Field. I think my favorite day though, at least I want to talk about this for just a couple of minutes because it it meant something to me and it still does. This past winter, Jeff Dickerson who was in his early 40s died from from a after a long bout with cancer. Jeff was my producer at The Score in 99 and 2000 when I was plotting to go to ESPN, he and I stayed in very close contact and I wanted to take Jeff with me. And I did. And he earned his way for air opportunities. He wasn't very polished at the beginning. Mitch Rosen would put him on the air on the weekends to get some of the badness out. And there was there's a lot of that for all of us when we just get started. Jeff was as true blue of a guy as there was. He was a solid reporter, but even a better human being. He passed away this past late December. I saw him the day before he passed. In 0-1, that first year at ESPN, he went with me to the Bears-Packers game. He'd never been to Lambeau Field. Huge football fan. He played football at Buffalo Grove High School. Passed ball bison. (laughs) We used to always... Joke about the jargon differences in football programs. You're playing defense in the high school, you, you know, you, you yell pass when the quarterback drives. Then when it's out, you yell ball. And then if you're at Buffalo Grove and there's a pick, you yell bison and hopefully pick up a few blockers. That was during that zero one 1 game, was the first year of three when the Packers were doing renovations on Lambeau Field, adding 12,000 seats a little bit more than 12,000 seats, and also making the concourse replete with modern-day conveniences, restaurants, and gift shops. The Packers gift shop is open 365 days a year, 24-7. And I asked Bob Harlan, who was giving a VIP tour, what's the real advantage to having your merchandise in a gift shop here at Lambeau Field Versus just doing it online, which was just burgeoning in one online shopping. Or, or you know, putting your materials out at Sport at the time. He said, good question, and I hope I have a good answer for you. Anything we sell on our property goes in our pockets. Today, that remains the case. If a Packers jersey sells on NFL Pro Shops or Dick's Sporting Goods. The revenue is shared among 32 teams. If you sell that merchandise on your property, all the money goes in your pocket. Better business sense in Green Bay than in Chicago. Renovations going on at two antiquated stadiums pretty much at the same time. Exactly at the same time. Early aughts. The Bears have to move to the University of Illinois. Like 16 road games. Packers stayed home. Construction plans were we are going to work around this construction. We will play our games and we will work when we have opportunities. If there's back to back road games, bye weeks. We'll work. We will get this thing renovated and it will be done in time for the 0 3 or 0 4 season. And that's what they did. But I I forever will cherish that time spent with Jeff Dickerson. His wife, Caitlin, died a couple of years before he did. They left a nine-year-old son, Parker, and um, it was very cool that Adam Schefter, the uh, NFL Bigfoot for NFL Network um, and ESPN, was um, was kind enough to uh, get behind some fundraising. And there was a scholarship fund started for Parker Dickerson, Jeff's, Jeff's son that raised more than a million dollars for his, his future. As much as Jeff loved football and loved life and loved reporting on football, it was, you know, you look back at something, you don't know it at the time. I'm 40 at that time. He's in his early 20s. And here we are before the Bears go to Green Bay this weekend. And it's, it's the first Bears-Packers game in his post life. And, um, uh, I just wanted to mention that because I know a lot of, you know, Jeff or knew his work and had a tremendous amount of respect for him. Today is the anniversary of my last good ACDC show. What took you 10 podcasts to get here? I was waiting for a special day. It was the last good one. It was the first show I ever saw the Wacky Australian Power Quintet do without Malcolm Young on, uh, on rhythm guitar. Malcolm, in so many ways, was the backbone of ACDC. His riffs set the stage for, for so much of their, of their Hall of Fame work. He was battling lung cancer, early-onset dementia. He passed away in November of 17 at the age of 64. His nephew was on in his stead for that show. But that second row at Wrigley, that's the the pit, as they call it. And all I remember is sleeping out outside of Soldier Field when I was a teenager to get a good look at the Rolling Stones. Wasn't necessary in 2015 when I was working at the drive. We stood outside Wrigley Field from, I think we got there around 4 o'clock. The gates opened at 5, and we, uh, we managed to work our way into the second or third row. And the Aussies were just awesome that night. That was their last good show. I saw them six, seven months later. By then, Brian Johnson's hearing was so impaired. They were just horrible that night. Angus Young. 128 pounds of dynamite carried that show all by himself. But seven years ago tonight at Wrigley Field, the boys opened with Rock or Bust. They hit something from their Powerage album. I don't know if I'd ever heard the boys do something from Powerage, 1978. That's my favorite A.C. Doocy album. And they played Sin City. That's late in the show. And then they follow that with Shot Down in Flames from Highway to Hell, which was one of their encores as well, the title track from that album. Happy anniversary, all of you ACDC fans. Craig Rolstadt will be the man in the white hat when the Bears and Packers get going on Sunday night on NBC. The Packers are 10-point favorites. I'm taking Green Bay to cover the 10. I lean under, though I will not play. I'll be up late Sunday night working on Monday morning's show, and it will drop for you hopefully no later than 10.30 or 11 o'clock on the Bet Rivers Podcast Network. I want to leave you with my favorite quote, one of my favorite quotes from former Bear Steve McMichael, who is, is nearing the end. His battle with ALS is almost done. He was a Packer for one season, 1994. And when asked a couple years after his retirement what that was like, McMichael said this, For 13 years, I helped the Bears beat the Packers every year. I whooped their ass, right? Right. So the last year, I went up there on my last leg, and I wasn't any good anymore. So I stole their money and whipped their ass again. There's only one Steve Mongo McMichael. Enjoy week two. Thank you for being with me today. Thanks to Sam Michael, who executively produces these podcasts. And thanks to Adam Delavitt, the big boss man at Bet Rivers. I'm Danny Mack. Have a great weekend. Bye.